This evening we are going to conclude, if you have been with us this month, uh, we're going to conclude our series through the four themes of Advent, hope, joy, love, and now tonight the final one, peace. And what I, if you've been with us, you know this, what I have argued each week is that each of these themes is central, is crucial to the human soul, and yet challenging in their own unique ways. We considered whether hope is a good thing, whether joy is a crucial thing, whether love is a true thing. When it comes to peace this evening, I want to ask whether peace is even possible. Because it sure doesn't seem like it to me. What is history if not the raging of humanity against itself and the created order? What is your own personal journey in life and my own personal journey in life if not the proverbial journey of waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know, that mentality. Meaning, yeah, maybe there's some respites of peace in my story, but they are only haunted by the inevitability of life's next brokenness. I mean, let's just be honest. These Hallmark Christmas movies we love, they're all a lie. Every single one of them. We enjoy them because they're escape from real life, but we know that's not real life, right? There has only ever been one honest Christmas movie ever made. One film that tells the true story of the way things truly are. Christmas Vacation. (laughs) And the only reason you're laughing is because you know it's true. If you don't know, shame on you, but let me explain. Clark Griswold tries to manufacture the perfect Christmas. Every attempt goes horribly wrong. And there's only one moment of satisfaction for the viewer in the entire film. It's when after failed attempt, after failed attempt, after failed attempt, you know this is true, to get his darn Christmas lights on, there's that one iconic shot of him, you know, overwhelmed with frustration, hoping against all hope that this time it's going to work. And in, you know, slow motion, he plugs the lights in, the sparks fly, hallelujah, chorus comes on, and the entire house lights up. And one time, things go right. But then, as you know, the family is together, admiring the lights. There's this moment of peace and happiness. And what happened? Brilliant movie writing, right? What happens right in that moment? Cousin Eddie shows up. (laughs) It's just so perfect. Because it's so our lives. That's what we're all doing. Spending our days trying to manufacture peace, trying to construct for ourselves a happy existence, and yet the cold hard truth is despite our best effort, Cousin Eddie's just keep showing up. Proverbial Cousin Eddie's, that is, in case there's an actual Cousin Eddie here this evening. I mean, like, in theory, you get it. Anyway. And yet, and yet, we still gather this evening to proclaim the plausibility of peace in protest of all the brokenness and all the messiness and all the trauma and all the hatred and all the violence and all the sickness and all the death 
In the midst of the world where nothing seems to ever be right, we gather to proclaim that things shall be right. And the passage we read responsively promises us that. I want us to consider two things very briefly from the famous Christmas passage or Advent passage in Isaiah 9. The admission of darkness and the advent of light. Let's, let's just admit first the darkness. It says in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now set the light part aside and just see how he views reality. He is picking up on a theme that is very prominent in scripture. All throughout the Bible, the imagery of light and darkness is used in so many ways with light representing God's design, God's intentions, the way things ought to be, and darkness as the absence of these things. And there's a Hebrew word that was associated with the imagery of light that you've probably heard used before. It's shalom. Shalom is translated peace, but it's it's difficult word to translate honestly because it conveys much more than just the idea of peace. It bears the meaning of wholeness, completeness, perfect flourishing, the way things ought to be as we see in Genesis 1 and 2 before the undoing of shalom through sin in Genesis 3. And so in Hebrew, light represents shalom. And darkness represents the violation of shalom. And what is so important to note here is that Isaiah views darkness, not light, not shalom, as normative. He calls us people walking in darkness. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, as if darkness is the pervasive norm of existence. And can any of us disagree with the prophet? The fall of Genesis 3 is so overwhelming, so enveloping that it has essentially created a veil over all existence such that we constantly live in its shadow. We cannot escape the shadow of the fall. And shalom has become something that eludes us all, both on a global scale and on a personal level. Globally, has our world ever known shalom? You do not need to be a historian to answer that question. Of course not. It is just a litany of violence and destruction. And no, our modern, advanced civilization is no better. I mean, look, I mean, can we just, here in 2019, going into 2020... Can we just stop and, and, and look at our polarized culture and what we have become? At some point, we just have to call it what it is. We hate each other. Civility is dead. Hatred reigns. And we look around and we see all these lies and corruption and greed and perversion. And all of this has just become the new norm of our society. So do not be deceived. We may have a more refined form of darkness, but shalom is no more present here than anywhere else in history. But we don't need history and we don't need cultural analysis to convince us of the darkness. We need only our personal lives, right? Your Instagram shalom isn't fooling anyone. Your life is as disordered as a Griswold family Christmas. Marriages are not as they appear. 
Parents and children are not as they appear. Relationships are not as they appear. Our habits and practices are not as they appear. And we're just talking about the things that are seen. For who can speak of the darkness of our thoughts, motivation, and hidden lives? Or perhaps you are one of those here this evening unwilling to admit this present darkness. Either the darkness of the world around you or the intimate darkness of your own life and story. You might be tempted to say it's not that bad. I mean, I'm not perfect, the world's not perfect, but a people walking in darkness, dwelling in a land of deep darkness that seems to be an exaggeration. Well, I would say to you is that the only reason we say that is because darkness is all we have ever known and our eyes have adjusted a bit. Perhaps we have learned to exist in utter darkness because it's all we know. But if we ever saw light... If we ever saw the light of God's intentions, if we ever got a glimpse of God's shalom, it would blind us. Which is precisely what the prophet is promising. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then verses 3 through 5, vividly, uh, uses vivid imagery um, to, to show what this light is going to do to the world. And what we see is it is utter annihilation of darkness by the conquest of light. Just listen to this powerful imagery. You, now that's important, the light is a person. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. It's a happy nation. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor has been broken. The oppressive darkness has been shattered for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire, meaning the violence will be killed. The idea is that the figure of light is going to conquer and destroy darkness. He will wage a war and the aftermath of his war will be shalom. So who is this great warrior of light? Well, the prophecy takes a strange turn. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. A child, a newborn child is the conquering light of shalom. That's the prophetic promise, and indeed, that is what we celebrate in Christmas. We've admitted the darkness. Let's look now at the advent of light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then this, of the increase of his government and of shalom, there will be no end. This child is destined to be a king, meaning the government will be on his shoulders. He will be king. But this king is a king that the world has never known. Because of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Unlike every power this world has ever known, the more this reign spreads, the more shalom spreads. Now fast forward from Isaiah. 
all the way to shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. Don't miss that, by the way. All the Christmas narratives take place at night because the birth of Jesus was light into darkness. So the darkness of the shepherd's night is invaded by the light of heaven. And what do we hear? Suddenly there were, was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Shalom. Peace. This newborn king is the king who will reign and restore shalom on earth. And this becomes his intentions and invitation. He invites the world to discover him as king, to submit to what he calls his kingdom. And in so doing, they will discover the shalom of his reign. His call is one of allegiance. I won't water that down. It is, he says, he, he, he says over and over again, repent and follow me. Repent of what is natural. Repent of the way you see things. Repent of the way you do things. Repent of what is right in your own eyes. That is to say, repent of your self-rule and your self-reign and submit to me as your new king. But Jesus views his demand to surrender as freedom. It is, it's, we are so accustomed to earthly power, earthly authority, earthly reigns that always bring destruction, that we just can't conceptualize a king who says this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke, so he's, he, he controls you, but my yoke is easy. My burden is light. His yoke, his burden is an authority that does not lead to oppression and destruction, but flourishing and freedom. That is to say, his reign brings peace. But why should we expect Jesus to be any different? Why should we trust that this is the different king, the different reign, the different kingdom that will bring peace on earth? Well, I would just say you have to admit that he's one unconventional king. What king would give up heavenly glory for a lowly manger? And when you observe his life, there is nothing pretentious or pompous or showy or certainly not oppressive or violent or destructive or anything else that we have come to expect from authority. Especially authority with such power, omnipotent power, but you will notice a power always only used to bring shalom. Always only used for the good of others. What other authority could handle omnipotent power like that and not abuse it? So despite what this king could be and what history has taught us to expect him to be, what we see in him is humility, meekness, tenderness, compassion, and most of all, love. And of course, the unconventional life of this king culminates with his unconventional coronation where he is crowned not with gold but thorns. Not seated upon a throne, but hung from a cross. And in this way, the king proved once and for all that he is worthy of honor, love, and worship. For how can we not pledge allegiance to a king who lays down his life for his subjects? So, granted, Isaiah promises something no rain has ever delivered. No rain has ever led to shalom. But you have to admit that there's no king like this king. 
Conventional authority produces conventional results. No peace. Would you consider that this unconventional authority can produce unconventional results which are of the increase of his government and of peace? There is no end. So by way of application... I want to do, if you've been with us this month, I want to do what I've done with every one of these Advent sermons and challenge us with the theme and our skepticism with it. It's simply to ask if you believe peace is possible. Within our world, within your life, is shalom a possibility? Is it possible for wrongs to actually become right? Is it possible for justice to overthrow the cruel reign of injustice? Is it possible for healing to restore trauma's destruction? Is it possible for this disordered madness to become reordered righteousness? Is it possible for sin, shame, and pain to be no more? Let me be upfront and honest with you as I can. Under the rule and reign of any earthly power, and that includes your own, I grant that we do not live under the rule and reign of a king and monarchy, a totalitarian, anything like that. But you know what rule and reign you live under? Your own. And I'm a bad king of me, and you're a bad king of you. It is impossible under any rule or reign to find peace. But this fallen world has yielded shalom once before. When the rule and reign of King Jesus invaded our chaotic existence as an oasis of peace. And that same rule and reign is now offered to us. Peace is possible, but only from the Prince of Peace. To which you might be tempted to say, well, then where is this peace you speak of? Right? That's a fair question. I don't want to dismiss that. Perhaps if you're looking on the outside in on the Christian faith, you might say, sure doesn't look like all these followers of Jesus have this shalom you speak of. I've seen their life. It's just as messy as mine. And if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you might be tempted to say, Jesus, Prince of Peace, where's the peace? To which I would say to both, his reign is not yet complete. We experience tastes of it as we submit to his ways. And every Christian will tell you that this is so. More surrender, more peace, despite any and all circumstances. The more we surrender to King Jesus, the more peace comes, no matter the circumstances. So we get taste of it. But yes, we have not experienced the fullness of surrender. And this world has not known the fullness of his reign. His first advent was the inauguration of Shalom and his second advent will be the consummation of Shalom. And what that does is enable us to celebrate the news of peace on earth when there seems to be no peace on earth. It enables us to proclaim peace on earth while we wait for peace on earth. Do you remember how Christmas Christmas vacation ends? It, It has a happy ending, but perfectly it's not a conventional one. The family is singing and dancing together, but what's so great is that they're doing so surrounded by the ruins of their vacation. Everything is still an utter mess, but they are singing and dancing in the middle of the mess. Friends, that's what we're doing tonight, minus the dancing. Let's not get carried away. That's what we're doing tonight. Surrounded 
by the mess of this world and our lives, surrounded by the destruction of the fall, surrounded by darkness, yet we gather in full assurance to sing and celebrate the light and news that peace on earth has come, peace on earth has begun, and one day peace on earth shall be done. Let me pray. Lord, we do believe it, and I pray that what you promise a peace that transcends understanding. What that means is that no matter what's going on in our life and we shouldn't have peace, I pray that you would grant our hearts peace. And Lord, we do audaciously pray for peace on earth. Come, Lord Jesus, and end the madness and restore shalom and make all things new. Until that day, we celebrate together as your people, knowing with full and confidence that peace on earth has come and peace on earth shall return. We thank you, Jesus, for you suffered the violence that we might obtain your peace. And we pray in your name. Amen.